It's no secret that grit is something that seems to be lacking in many of our kids today. And this even includes some of our 30-something kids. So how can we impart a sturdier constitution in our children while they're still at home? Not only for the sake of our children's future, but for our sanity and success as parents. After all, we may likely need the help of an emotionally, mentally, and even a physically and spiritually strong offspring to take care of us someday. How to raise kids with sound minds and whole hearts who stand firm in their God-given identities. That's next on Licensed to Parent. Hi, I'm Michelle Hill, and I'm glad you've joined us for another episode of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Our host, Trace Embry, is the founder and executive director of Shepherds Hill and also the author of The Miracles of Shepherds Hill. Our goal on Licensed to Parent is to take what we're learning each day at Shepherds Hill and share it with you so that you can be better prepared to raise your kids in a way that honors God. Trace, how did we get to the place where our kids seem to be stressed whenever the wind blows? Yeah, well, I need the rest of the program to adequately break down that one. But in a nutshell, we've strayed so far, I think, from God's ecosystem. And I mean in every aspect of life, from common definitions of terms like male and female or right and wrong or good and evil or beautiful and ugly to what it means to be human um, and a whole lot more. And this didn't start with the millennial generation. Uh, if we really think back, it was actually Tom Brokaw's greatest generation, uh, those who endured the Great Depression and World War II, who as a kid, I remember these guys in, uh, you know, saying all the time, my kids are never going to have to go through what I had to go through. And they, and they did it valiantly, and that's why they were the greatest generation. But to say that my kid is never going to have to go through what I went through might have been a little extreme. And every generation since has basically said similar things to the point that, you know, uh, after the boomers caved to postmodernism and Gen X found virtue and greed and the credo that he who dies with the most toys wins, which morphed into the millennial generation colliding with the digital age, which helped create a generation of narcissists and entitled snowflakes that had their great-great-grandparents still been around, might have whipped out a healthy ration of Old Testament-style discipline to their backsides. It's so funny to hear today's uh, young people say that, you know, my generation, the baby boomers, are a bunch of hard noses. You know, my dad called us the marshmallow generation, the baby boomers. <laughs> uh, my point is that from the greatest generation to the boomers, to Gen X, to millennials, to Gen Z, to today's alpha generation, we've we, we got to find the biblical balance here. Because right now, that pendulum has swung way over to the unflattering, illogical, unscientific, and delusional snowflake side of what could be called the common sense center of the clock of parental wisdom. And from my experience at Shepherd's Hill, I'm pretty sure that most any kid from most any generation can accomplish and endure most anything they're required to accomplish, keyword required, and endure. Some of the most impressive individuals I know are still in high school, but it's time that as parents, we grow a bigger spine and require more from our kids so that they can grow a bigger spine or live to regret it. Unfortunately, too many kids aren't even willing to do that, as evidenced by our teen suicide statistics. Mm. 
Well, our guest on Licensed to Parent today is Lauren Gaines. Lauren is an author, speaker, teacher, and a mom. She is the creator of Inspired Motherhood, an online community for moms. And today, Lauren is a busy mom of three. But her unique approach to parenthood can be credited to her master's degree in school psychology. Lauren worked in the public school system and taught human development as an adjunct professor. Lauren understands the mental overload that families are experiencing today and what Trace was just talking about. Lauren, welcome to License to Parent. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk with you today. For those who, who may not be familiar with you yet, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and, and what you do. Sure, yeah. So I do have a background as a school psychologist. My first job was in Baltimore City Public Schools. So uh, as a school psychologist, you can do work diagnosing kids with different things and uh, testing them for special education. So I worked with a lot of students who had ADHD or an anxiety disorder, learning disabilities, uh, intellectual disabilities. And so there part of it was testing for that and helping make sure they're getting the right accommodations at school. But another big part of that was counseling one-on-one in, in groups with kids in special education and regular education. Because in a place like Baltimore City, there's a lot of need for help and learning how to, you know, take your thoughts captive and learning how to face adversity and be resilient. And then when I had kids, I wanted to be at home with them, but also still have my foot in the door with my background. So I started teaching online and then I ended up teaching in person for three, three or four years. And I taught intro to psych in human development. So I have always had a heart for kids. I, when I grew up, I when I was little and I was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always was like a mom. That was kind of my goal was to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And then... That's your greatest ministry right there. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It is my favorite and hardest. (laughs) Yes, I bet. But it is just a joy to talk with other moms and help them learn what I learned, you know, and what I taught my students because today's kids are facing more than they've ever faced before. And anxiety is up, depression is up, and kids just don't know how to handle all of life. And so I feel like as parents, if we can give them the tools to walk out, because at some point they'll have to go into the real world. If we can give them the tools so that they can go out and be resilient and have endurance, what a gift we could give them. So Lauren, as a school psychologist, what does that do to a child when they're overloaded already with all these activities and all these things from the time that they're in kindergarten up through high school? Like, what does that do to their brain, to how they develop? Yeah, I mean, really, the interesting thing, I did a lot of research for my book, too. I knew some of this as a school psychologist, but then I wanted to go back and do more reading and found out that so many brain connections are being laid in those early years, especially like zero to five, but it continues throughout our life. And kids, a lot Mm -hmm. of kids have resilience and, you know, can work through it, but other kids just are overwhelmed. And a lot of times they may say to their parents, I have a headache or my belly hurts. And we might think that they're sick. We might not 
initially realize like they're feeling overwhelmed because kids don't realize they don't have the insight that we do to say there's too much on my plate right now. They just don't even know that they can say Mm -hmm. that or that's a thing, you know? And so it will come out in behavior. Uh, Sometimes kids will go to their room and want to be alone. Other times it's acting out. And so as parents, we need to have discernment. And this is why we need uh, the Holy Spirit, because it's hard to know, like, okay, are they sick? Or is there something else going on here? And they're having difficulty with the change or with too much on their plate, and they just don't know how to express it because they don't have the understanding of how many thoughts are running through their head and how their thoughts are influencing how they feel and what they do. Let me run something by you here for a second. Okay, so kids today and kids 100 years ago had the same 24 hours in a day. <laughs> we all had the same 24 hours a day. Would you say that kids are overwhelmed today largely because so much time is being taken and allowed to be taken by a lot of parents with a lot of digital activities that have nothing to do with education, um, more like entertainment, uh, interactions, many of which are not healthy. And it has become so systemic, that that whole routine has become so systemic in America today. Because when you talk to a lot of homeschool uh, kids who, uh, you know, whose parents just don't tolerate it, uh, these kids are just as sharp today as any kid that you would have talked to 50 years ago. So I'm just wondering if we've kind of bought into some of the secular paradigms of how to do child rearing and then we moan the blues about being overwhelmed when there's there's just too many darn choices out there. Oh, everything yeah. on social media, everything on every other you know, platform, our homework, sports, every sport. And, you know, I can see how, yeah, okay, I don't think this generation and the parents of this generation know much about sacrifice and making uh, choices that just some things aren't going to be able to happen. And you, you, yeah, you, maybe you won't be able to play basketball, maybe choose soccer or, or, or something else, but you can't play five sports. Uh, and you're not going to be able to spend two hours uh, on video games a night if you're going to expect to get the things that have to be accomplished unlike your homework or, or am I, am I just too hard nosed and out of touch? No, I a hundred percent agree with everything you said. And it's probably not a popular opinion. I think that people in my, you know, age group want to deny that that's true. And really this is, this is might be hard to hear, but the problem starts with us. We are addicted to our phones and we are addicted to the screen. <laughs> and so our kids are going to follow our lead. Yeah, I, I know we're coming up on a break, but I just want to say this before we go to break. I go speak to different churches, conferences, and things like that. And one of the first things I say, I'm about to give you a message. I don't want to speak largely to a people that don't want to hear it. <laughs> and it's mostly about digital technology and, and, and all that and the abuse of it and the new paradigm. Um, but that is becoming less and less a message that people don't want to hear. They're starting to catch on that this is a major league problem. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We're talking with Lauren Gaines today about her book, Unshakable Kids. We'll be back with more Licensed Apparent right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. 
With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Hi, folks. Trace Embry here, host of the Licensed to Parent broadcast and founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We've all heard about modern-day miracles, mostly from mission fields. Frankly, I believed about half of them and experienced none of them until about 30 years ago. Christ truly became the Lord of my life. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill is a book that wasn't written as much as it was recorded. It's the true story of how God used a handshake, my family's last $200, and our 30-year odyssey of bumper-to-bumper miracles to acquire a 60-acre farm that was used by the devil and turned it into a 250-acre globally recognized healing ministry for God. I want all people to know that Jesus Christ is still in the miracle-working business for those submitted to His word, will, and way, and who properly understand what faith truly is. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill, an extraordinary odyssey of divine interventions by Trace Embry. Learn more at LicensedToParent.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Learn more about Shepherd's Hill at LicensedToParent.org. Today, we are talking with Lauren Gaines about her book, Unshakable Kids. Well, uh, Lauren, before the break, um, we were talking about, uh, you know, the busyness of life in the, in, in the real world, and you had mentioned the real world. And my question to you, in light of some of the changes in um, the, the routine lives of kids in the digital age, do they have a real world anymore? Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. And I do want to say a little bit more about what we were talking about before, because I was having a conversation with my kids mm-hmm. the other night telling them that when I grew up, you know, if we wanted to watch something on TV, we just had to turn it on and see if if it was on. Like there was not, <laughs> oh, let me see what's on Netflix right. and scroll through a hundred different things before I decide. And yeah, we are so not uh, a screen-free house. We have screen limits though, because I really notice that screens are just, I mean, it, it, some people say it's a necessary evil that we do kind of need it. But then sometimes I wonder, like, do we really need it? I heard that there was a study done where they looked at anxiety and depression and each generation that they went down lower, they, the anxiety and depression increased. And so I was thinking about it and looking at mm. my Nona and like some of my prayer partners are in their seventies. And I'm like, they do not bring their phone and like put it on the table when we get together. If it rings, they don't care. They don't answer it right away. They don't look and get sucked into that. And I think 
what are we modeling for our kids? We are in this digital world, whether we want to be or not. And so we need to really take a hard look at what we're doing because they are we are their first model and they are going to do what they see. And so if they see us constantly looking every time there's a ding or like, oh, let me look that up. And it starts innocently. Like, let me look that up when you're having a conversation. And then 20 minutes later, you're still on your phone, you know? And so I think we need to be careful about missing out. I also have this in my book about savoring. We don't savor anymore. We rush Mm. through everything. We don't have family dinner where we're sitting down. And there's so much research on how protective family dinner is and how great it is for kids to have that dinner. But we you know, we're driving to baseball, we're going to gymnastics, piano, like we're not together anymore. Or we have the TV on or our phones there and we're just not connecting face to face, eye to eye. And I think it's sad because our kids are missing out on some social skills and really just like learning how to slow down and enjoy life. You know, one of the things I I hated my parents and grandparents cramming down my throat when I was a kid is, well, when I was young or when I was your age or when I grew up, you know what? This is a totally new animal. There is legitimacy in saying when I grew up this or that or the other, because this this new digital paradigm has brought something into the equation that a lot of people don't understand. And everyone understands that porn and true death videos and the the social media predators are, are, are a horrible, horrible thing. What they don't realize is too much of a good thing is actually a bad thing. And what's happening is I I see it, and I you know I, I'm kind of working on a proving ground here with these kids, I mean, I've got them for a year, is that too much knowledge leads to too many choices. Too many choices lead to indecision. Indecision leads to anxiety, and anxiety leads to depression. Depression leads to a warped view of reality. A warped view of reality leads to a warped view of self. A warped view of self uh, leads to a warped uh, view of a lot of things, including I, I need to feel better by cutting myself. And of course, the fork of the road that could go there too is all the way to suicide, which is now the second leading cause of death among teenagers in America. So I think too many choices is the beginning of that slippery slope. And that's why I said from the beginning, you know, maybe we need to just limit the choices and it's, you're not going to be a popular parent, but I think you're going to earn a friend for a long term if, if we just clamp down and, and forego some of that buddy, buddy stuff in the, in the, in the beginning, in the younger years and get them used to it from the jump. My kids knew from the jump. You will never have a smartphone. I mean, yeah. you want to look at my smartphone? We'll have a computer in the den. You want to get on the internet? Fine. I need to know when you're in. I want to be in the vicinity. And all that stuff with all the filters and all that stuff. But to give a kid unfettered access to his own smartphone, uh, any dependent minor, I think is parental suicide. And not to mention what it's doing to the kid. And your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I feel like we could talk for hours about this. I had a blog post that I wrote a few years ago saying we need to stop giving our kids so many choices. And people were angry <laughs> that I said that because they felt like, mm. how dare you, you know, say that, just tell your kid. I noticed if I asked my kids when they were three, four, do you want peanut butter and jelly? Do you want yogurt? Like I gave them a choice of what they want for lunch. They would complain no matter, even though they picked it. Mm. 
And if I just gave them the lunch and did not give them a choice, they would not complain. And I thought, wow, isn't this amazing? You know, that like they need structure. They need us to be the authority at at points. And we're giving that away because society is saying, oh, you need to, you know, care about their feelings and not damage their soul. And, you know, yes, the Bible says we shouldn't provoke them to anger. But I also think there are times like we're the parent, we're the authority. We need to discipline and we need, we have wisdom that they just, their brains don't have yet. And so I agree that we need to Mm. stop giving. So even like, oh, what do you want to play with? Like too many toys and kids won't play with them. There's research backing that. So I think that can translate to the phone uh, for sure. You mentioned authority a couple of times as you were just talking. And I know that you have taken, you've done some research that has shown that an authoritative parenting approach is beneficial for a child's social, intellectual, moral, and emotional growth. Now, can you help us unpack that? And and also, what does an authoritative approach in parenting look like? Yeah, I think this is something that's really getting twisted in our day. And I'll just say, um, I think you, you guys will be on the same page, but I, I do not like the gentle parenting movement. And I do talk about that a bit in the book. Why? Um, because they will say that they mm-hmm. also use the authoritative approach, but I, I would disagree a lot of times when I, I see it in, in real life happening because they're giving so much control to the kids. And so an authoritative parent has that loving connection. You know, we're not just like demanding things and we we do love our kids and we have that connection with them and we care for their hearts and their souls, but we also have control and we give them developmentally appropriate choices. So it's not probably developmentally appropriate to give a nine-year-old a smartphone. They just can't mm-hmm. handle it. And so we make that mm-hmm. choice for them. Mm-hmm while also giving them a chance to maybe make some decisions for themselves, like maybe making their own lunch and deciding what they want to pack in it. You know, I think we do need to give our kids some amounts of control because at some point they're going to have to learn to do these things on their own. But um, I think we also need to have boundaries in place. Right. Mm. Should an authoritative approach be seen as a continuum? In other words, uh, you know, you got the authoritarian, the authoritative, and the permissive. And there are times uh, with different personalities, different ages, uh, different temper, you know, temperaments and all that, uh, proclivities uh, in, in our different kids, where you kind of have to know where to be lean more on one end of the continuum than, than the other, where it's not just a, a cookie cutter, one size fits all. One of the, one things, one of the things that, that parents uh, tell me all the time, you know, I raised all my kids the same. They turned out different. I said, they turned out different because you raised them all the same. You know, <laughs> you got to be so connected with your kids' personality and the idiosyncrasies of junior that you're not going to raise them the same. Now they can all be, uh, you know, raised with an authoritative uh, continuum, but some are going to require a little bit more monitoring than others, and others, uh, you know, are going to demand a little more freedom and probably need a little more freedom than others. And then when the others that that don't have the freedom realize that this one, you know, he's just a year older than me or a year younger, and he gets freedom and I don't, well, it's because he's more responsible or she's more responsible, and maybe I can widen your authoritative continuum a little bit more, or or am I off base there? 
No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And personality was always one of my favorite classes in college and in grad school. And I think it's so fascinating to see how God made our children and it, what a gift it is to be able to start to understand them, you know? And my kids are all very different. Mm-hmm. I have three kids. They all have very different personalities. And so we don't treat them the same. And one thing that I will always stick with me that I read in my human development textbook was that we should validate them. You know, we should validate our kids, but we should push them to be more adaptive. And so they're going to have different weaknesses and different strengths. And in the areas where they are weak, we need to help them. You know, we need to push them in those areas or create boundaries and uh, and help them grow in those areas. Well, there's an argument that I think it's Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. And yeah, I do understand that that means, you know, uh, generally speaking, because that's what the Psalms, Proverbs are, general principles written to a people in general, general results. Uh, train up a child the way he should go. It, mean, it means, you know, raise him up in, in the godly principles of relationship to the Lord. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. But I saw, there's also another take on that, which is if you're rightly related to your child, you're going to know the way he should go and you're going to nurture that. I had a, an uncle who didn't have an eighth grade in education and he ended up being a millionaire with his own body shop. He knew he wanted to straighten fenders and paint cars from the time he was a kid. So what's the point in, in, the, in the further education? If you know what you want, his parents nurture that and he became a very successful human being. Is there any merit to the idea that, that maybe there is something in, in that passage where we're to, we're to, the sooner we can find out what a kid's bent is, start nurturing that. Start, you know, whether it's music or sports or auto mechanics or construction, you know, baking cookies, whatever. Uh, encourage that child if you find out that they've got a bent for something. Oh, yeah, I think for sure. I think that what I said, if a parent can discern a child's personality or those gifts, what what a blessing that is. And so we can pray and ask God to reveal those to us. But I think we can also pay attention. It was now this is not necessarily a life skill, but one of my kids uh, tried all different kinds of sports and nothing was really sticking. But then she tried gymnastics and there was just like a glow about her face when she was there. She was just so excited. And it was like you could tell she never complained about going and it was kind of like, okay, that's it. Like we didn't have to push anything, you know, and we are always, I had a very busy life as a kid. I was one of those kids who did all the things and I, my parents didn't do like push me to do it. I was just a high achieving uh, kid who wanted to do all the things. I have trouble saying no. So I'm learning that about myself that like, it's okay to have white space in your calendar and to just kind of pause and try different things, you know, and see what you think. See if you like it or not. Cooking, drawing, baking, whatever it is. I think it's good to expose our kids to different things and see how they react. Absolutely. And, and, and give them the room to explore for themselves things that, uh, you know, uh, they may not have thought they'd, they'd be interested in. A lot of the kids here at Shepherd's Hill will tell you, look, I, I would have never had an interest in that if you didn't make me do it. Try it, you know? Yeah. So sometimes you got to push them just a little bit. They don't even know, always know what they want. <laughs> well, Lauren, our time has come to an end, and it came to an end really way too quickly because this has been a very enjoyable and, and great conversation. Um, I feel like I am have walked away with some understanding of our kids. So thank you so much for your ministry, and, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Lauren. Our guest today at Licensed to Parent was Lauren Gaines, and you can connect with Lauren 
at her website, inspiredmotherhood.com. And that is inspired-motherhood.com. Check out Lauren's book and also find a free prayer guide for this school year so that you can be praying for your kids. Thanks for listening to Licensed to Parent. If you have a question about raising teens today, even difficult teens, send us your question, radio at licensedtoparent.org. We want to help you and Trace just might answer your question on an upcoming broadcast. You know, God is working miracles here at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Trace wouldn't have written his book, The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill, if we weren't seeing God's hand in everything here. For over 20 years, students have been getting help and turning their lives over to God. And would you consider being a part of what God is doing in the lives of our kids here at Shepherd's Hill? Your financial support can make a difference in the lives of struggling teens and their families. Help us help them find healing, growth, and a path toward success. Donate online at licensedparent.org and click Donate. Thanks to our team for making today possible. Our producer is Rich Rosel. Carl Peetz is our technical producer. For Trace Embry, I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless. See you next time.